0: This episode of The Bag Drop, Untold Stories in Golf, is brought to you by New Club Golf Society, a humble community of golfers connected by our love for the game. Follow us on social media with the handle newclubgolf. Welcome back, I'm Matt Considine. In our last season of The Bag Drop, we uncovered the untold stories from the PGA Pro's superintendents, architects, and operators who make it possible for us to play the game we all love. To kick off our new season, we turn the mic to our members and ambassadors to show you how the community itself might be the best part of golf. Hey, Jackson.
1: What's going on, man?
0: Good to be with you. Not much. Uh, excited to chat with you today as our member series rolls on. We're with, uh, with Jackson Kemper. Welcome to the backdrop. Appreciate it. Glad to be here. Uh, Let's dive in with a pretty recent uh, event you were a part of. You were looping on the PGA tour. Tell us about it. I was.
1: Yeah. Uh, Well, I grew up, you know, caddying as like a high school job. Um, And in my new job, developed a relationship with Mark Wilson. He's like my committee chair um, for Young Life in Elmhurst. And interestingly enough grew up like caddying at Butler and seeing him out there playing, but we didn't know each other then. Um, and he knew that I was a big golfer was in the golf industry and he had an exemption to play in the desert classic and was like, Hey man, you want to caddy for me? Um, which I was like, are you sure? <laughs> like, that's a pretty big responsibility. I've never, you know, I'm carrying bags for like 15 handicaps. Usually like, I don't know what I would tell a pro golfer what to do. Um, but yeah, he tossed out the invite and, and he said he had multiple friends do it for him in the past. So it was, it was no pressure and and it was so much fun, dude. What's the prep like? So this is your first PGA
0: tour loop. Uh, you're headed, you know, you go out to Arizona, but prior to that, like, what were you, what time were you putting in to prepare yourself?
1: Um, so he, it's actually in Palm Springs, uh, California, and he knew that. Uh, My parents go golfing out there quite a bit. Um, I had played a lot of the courses out there. And he invited me probably like three or four months prior, knowing that we're usually around that time of year, around the tournament in January, out there anyways. And um, so (laughs) I was like, you know, what do I have to learn? Like yardage book stuff and like all this sort of stuff. And he's like, no, don't worry about it he's at the point in his career where he's like, I've done that for so long, you know, most of the time, really, it's just like, I want my caddy to double check me. And and really, he's like, the most important thing you need to know is, like, where to stand. That's, like, the hardest thing. It's, like, either stand directly facing me or directly behind me. Like, don't stand at an angle. Like, same with most other pros. Like, they they want the caddies in that position. Um, But, yeah, he made it really easy for me, honestly. He seems like a, a, a really cool dude. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, when walking around out there with, like, all the pros, it's like, I mean, he, he, when you meet him and the way he, he talks and treats people, like, he's so, like, personable and, and humble. And, like, you would never guess that he won five times on the PGA Tour, you know? Right. It's, like, it's like, there are a lot of guys out there that haven't won five times that are way bigger celebrities. And he's just such a good dude. And, like, all the other pros, like, just love him, too. Like, they'd come up to me and they'd be like, you're really lucky that you're caddying for Mark. Like that's a great, this is a great bag to have or a great guy to caddy for.
0: And he's, it's he's cool. also a fellow Chicagoan. where, where did he
1: grow up? So he grew up in uh, Wisconsin actually. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. He grew up at, um, Economowoc, which you guys, I think you guys posted something about that. Yeah, yeah. 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 That was his, um, home course. And then, um, he's lived in Elmhurst for a while and plays a lot of the, a lot of the courses around here. Um, as is like prep work and stuff like that. He's a member at River Forest right now. Yeah, I, I know that
0: uh, some members of ours that are members of places around town always talk about running into him and what a nice guy he is. Yeah. Um, I mean, to be on the PJ Tour, we all know, is, is such a small percentage of golfers. To win five times is such a small collection uh, of, of players. I mean, what, what was, was there like, uh, I know you've played with them before this, but was there a moment during the tournament where either him or somebody else hit a shot where you're just like, These guys are so good.
1: Yeah. Well, when I first played with him, it, it it was like it came out of nowhere. Like I think playing with somebody is different than caddying or like watching them play. Because we're having a conversation and you know, there's other people in the group, you're watching all these different shots happen. And then all of a sudden like you look up and you're like, Oh, he's four under through like eight holes. Like that's <laughs> that's just normal for him. Um, but in the tournament, so it's a, since it's a pro-am, you're, you're, you're paired with, uh, two amateurs and another pro and, uh, we were paired with, and and it's, it's a three-day pro-am. So we were paired with Michael Thompson. And I just remember like the first day Michael Thompson was hitting just some of the closest shots I've ever seen. Like, you know, like long irons that would end up within like a foot and Mark, Mark wasn't hitting it great. And all of a sudden at the end of the day, like we added the scores up and they were both two under or actually I think Mark was three under and I, I would, it just comes out of, I think it comes out of nowhere is that's when you realize how good they are. It's like, he didn't hit the ball well at all. And he's like five shots off the lead.
0: Yeah. Just how, how they manage their game when it's not even, you know, fully on is, yeah. is, is something I, I do find uh, really underappreciated. Right. Cause on TV, we're always watching the guys that are on. And of course, of course they're hitting it, 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 uh, but if you, if you follow those guys that are around the cut line, you know, and you realize like what they're doing to stay two on three on far, that's impressive.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, even the, the pressure too. like, you don't, you don't realize like you're not hitting the ball well. And then the pressure to, to perform and like, you're on that cut line. It's like, it's probably just as much pressure as like when you're near the top and like trying to trying to play well to, to, to win the tournament, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think I read uh somewhere that Mark has uh going into the broadcasting arena, isn't he? One of the networks?
1: Yeah. So he does PGA Tour Live and PGA Tour radio. Um which I didn't I didn't know when I was like first talking to him. I remember like watching like the players like recap highlights of Rory McIlroy's round or something like that. And I was like, wait, that's, that's Mark's <laughs> voice, which is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, he does that. And he's got like a Twitter, a Twitter thing he does called market down live where he like interviews other pros and, and stuff like that. So he he's definitely delving into the, um, broadcasting side more. That's cool. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. And so you're no stranger to, uh, Pro golf in, in a way when you I think it was right out of college you
1: worked for Mizuno, right yep, yeah, I had an internship in college and then out of college in as a mechanical engineer and like the industrial designer for Mizuno
0: mechanical engineer and industrial designer uh yeah. so
1: what what do you do what did, what did you do yeah <laughs> uh I started off I think most golf companies when you start off in the engineering side it's all testing so you know, like I, I had to learn everything about golf clubs, like measuring all of the statistics, um, you know, all of the different things that you need to know about golf clubs, like the CG height, the the sweet spot height, the, the CG depth, CG distance, you know, I would spend a lot of time measuring sets that came like straight off of, out of manufacturing to like check tolerances, um, and then, like measuring competitive sets to compare, like RCG, whatever locations to their their performance, and then um, also like testing, like with a robot, and and testing with player testing. So, going out to the range and hitting balls and trackman using Trackman to record like how each club performs and, and comparing ours to competitors and ours to our previous designs. Um, All that, all that kind of stuff. Like I, I did that for a year, probably a year and a half before I even started uh, doing any sort of design.
0: So I'm not much of a gearhead. So CG, RGC, CG. It sounded like they're (laughs) just robots in Star Wars movies to me. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but I am a fan of professional golf. And when you say testing, I think immediately to core testing and how that's been kind of like a hot topic of, you know, let's test PJ Tour players' drivers. That you know, uh, Who was it last year? Was it Xander got yeah. caught with a, a – I shouldn't say got caught. He just had a, a driver that was not conforming. What can you, for like the folks out there that maybe don't know what a core test is – like walk us through that process. That's the only one that I hear people talking about for the PGA Tour. Are there others? And and can you walk us through that that main test?
1: Yeah. So the the actual USGA test isn't core, which is cor coefficient of restitution. It's it's CT, it's characteristic time. And so it's they they have this device. It's called a pendulum tester. And basically, you set up your driver face like perfectly square with where this pendulum is going to hit. And you drop it from like a couple different heights, and it measures the amount of time that the pendulum stays in contact with the driver face for. That's the characteristic time. And it's, and I I guess like the the layman's terms to measure really what it means is like how springy the driver face is, really, Um, which I guess is coefficient of restitution too. Okay. Um,
0: So CT test is is the actual term, but it's really just saying like, what's the, is a trampoline kind of a, a decent metaphor?
1: Yeah, yeah. Like, what's I've heard people describe it as like trampoline effect. Yeah, what's the trampoline effect? And so the test, the the reason I think there's like a lot of, (laughs) I don't know if it's like conspiracy, but like, you know, a lot of uproar about them is like, it the test has like a seven point tolerance to it, and then manufacturing, like our when I was at Mizuno, like our manufacturing, like we put in like an additional like seven to eleven points of tolerance. So like. The, the limit to the CT, I don't remember exactly, but let's just say it's like 256, right and, But the real limit is seven less than that, so it's 249, uh, and you get you get a seven point tolerance towards the top. So what most manufacturers do is they design as close to that original um, amount and then see that hope that their manufacturing tolerance keeps them within the CT tolerance and so you know you may have a head, a driver head that comes off you know especially tour heads like they try to pick the ones that have higher CT when they measure them and maybe a company measures it and, and it's fine it's oh it's 254 we're, we're good but every pendulum tester is different and has different tolerances and so it, it could have randomly just been a day when, like, his measured over by barely anything.
0: Yeah. And those can change, too, right, from use? Yeah. The dry, dry face can can get more in those margins.
1: Yep. Yeah. The more you use it, typically, the the hotter it gets. And then it'll get to a point where it weakens. But, yeah.
0: yeah I mean, it's – I, I kind of can relate to this a little bit. You know, I bought a driver off of a, or a driver head. I had a shaft I really liked and I just wanted to update the uh the head to it, and so I'm on eBay and you get in like the eBay descriptions and it starts talking about the CT tests and the core tests and that you know, hot drivers and probably just total BS that people are <laughs> trying yeah. to get this club out of their garage. Um, but Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I remember looking up the conforming thing. I'm like, these are really close to the, to the illegal side of things, but that's what you're saying is like, it's intentional. The manufacturers are trying to play in those margins.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's like, if you look at, um, like the tailor-made, um, face injection stuff is like, that's their attempt at, okay, we're going to design these and then try to get them as close to possible by like adjusting the face. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think people put a lot of, like, a little too much stock in, in those statistics. It's like, you know, okay, maybe you you gain like 0. 0.7 miles per hour ball speed. It's really like you're fighting for nothing pretty much.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what, what's your whole experience is with, with Mizuno and being with, well, let's go to the, the tour van. So it sounded like you did some work with pros. Any good stories from your time spent with those guys?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, when you like in the process of designing a set, I, I did mostly irons. Um, in the process of like designing a set of irons, you, I would go to tour events and test prototypes um, with different players. Like, we typically would go to the Valspar, um, and then we would go again like a month <clears throat> or two later to the Wells Fargo. Uh, and yeah, it's pretty fun being out there with those guys. I mean, um, there's some serious personalities, um, out there, like, uh, you know, like Brooks Kepke isn't a Mizuno sponsored guy, but he plays Mizuno irons. And, um, I, one of my favorite stories of him is like, he came into the, the tour van and those guys are, those guys are crazy. They have crazy eyes. They can notice everything. They can notice like a millimeter of difference in offset or, in top line thickness and, and all these different things and they're they're nuts about their equipment and brooks walks in and our tour van guy's like all right do you want or he's like can you re-grip my clubs like i had this guy re-grip them um <clears throat> and they're they're wearing down whatever can you can you toss them to grips on them and, and our our tour van tech's like yeah sure like do you want the logo up or logo down because most most grips like golf pride or lambkin they have like a little logo on them and a lot of guys like the logo to be down so you you're not looking at it to try to align it with your face and all that sort of stuff. Um, and, and Briscoff is like, I don't care. And he's like, well, like what were, what are your irons right now? Like they're logo up. And he's like, is that what you always do? And he's like, I don't remember. I don't know. (laughs) And he's like, okay, well, do you want them logo up or down? He's like, honestly, I could give a, a crap and just like walks off the van. like. He just
0: doesn't even care or notice. That, that's that's awesome. I mean, yeah. it also fits his model of how he approaches the game, right? Like, yeah, the, the big stuff he'll he'll care about. The little minutia, he he's probably in his setup, not worried about what is on top of his
1: grip. No, I don't think he even thinks about it.
0: Yeah, who uh, who else? Any other run-ins with guys that you you remember fondly?
1: Yeah. Um... I mean i love paul casey he's he's an awesome guy and it was cool because like it was we were at the Valspar in one back-to-back years so like i like to say i played a part in it but I, I totally didn't um i i think the cool one of the coolest guys that i got to um test with was vj um you know most of the guys out there um they're pretty busy when you're when you're showing up like on the tuesday and wednesday before the tournament like you're trying to get your game ready they they're practicing they're um, either working with their swing coaches or just <clears throat> like trying to go out and, and see the course a little bit so to ask them to hit a prototype iron that may not be their shaft or their specs like it, it's a pretty i don't know it could be annoying like I could see if you're spending every single day looking down at the same club and somebody tries to have you hit a bunch of shots at another club it'd be annoying but like we we gave some prototypes to VJ and he, he had to have hit, like, 100 balls with these prototypes. Like, he was just – and he was talking about, like, all the history of, you know, like, the, why he picked the clubs he played. And he was – he gave us such good feedback. And it was just cool to see somebody who's, like, you know, just a legend out there and could totally just not give us the time of day at all. But he really spent a ton of time with us, which was cool.
0: Yeah, a lot of people – uh, riff on VJ, I think, from, you know, he's got riffs with some other PGA Tour pros. He, uh, <laughs> I guess, can be standoffish to them for some reason. Yeah. Um, but your your story aligns well with, with one of mine. And we in college for the University of Akron. I used to work the range uh, during the, uh, used to be the NEC. It was the Bridgestone. Now it's not there. <laughs> but uh, we, would, we would always be washing balls, like hand-washing the balls that these guys are hitting. You know, right. Everyone has their own. you got to sort them all out. It was actually a lot of work. Um, but we loved it because we were around the pros, and most of the guys didn't really give us the time of day. Uh, VJ always did, always yeah. was willing to like – it was really interesting. He would just kind of like sit there and, and chat with guys, and he wasn't saying a whole lot, but you could just tell he, um, he was unapologetically himself. I think that's because because then he'd hit he'd hit balls more than anybody. I mean, we probably had to just keep balls going to his station. He hit all day, all day. It was crazy, but uh, but yeah, he struck struck me as a pretty genuine guy.
1: Yeah, yeah, he was cool. I mean, most of those guys are they're good guys. It's just like if they like the thing that I've noticed like is if if they like aren't giving you the time of day or or or, or they're maybe like. A little bit short with you or something like that. It's like they've got stuff going on, you know. They're, yeah, they're busy. So who? Like who when, uh, when I was with Mark, like you know, he's got his family there, three kids, his wife. Like they got they got a lot going on during. These oh yeah,
0: yeah, and they're trying to play at the highest level too.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, who's sponsored with Mizuno? Like I'm trying to think of who's on there. I know Luke was in like his world number one days. Is uh, Eddie Pepperell with
1: Mizuno? Uh, yeah, Eddie's still, or no, no, Eddie's not anymore, actually. Luke, Luke is still with Mizuno. Um, he's like kind of always been the flagship guy. He's still there. Um, you know, for a, for a while, it was a lot of the Nike guys. When Nike left um, the equipment industry, a lot of those guys naturally tended towards Mizuno. You know, Johnny Vegas, Paul Casey, um, Keith Mitchell, he's a big, one of the big Mizuno guys now um eddie's not anymore which i'm kind of bummed about because i was a big fan of eddie's eddie's the man yeah he he, another interesting guy when i got to meet him um at the wells fargo is like he is so just like kind of like shy and like not very outspoken in person versus his internet personality (laughs) yeah uh
0: last pro i'll ask you about because when we first played you had a spare set of clubs, I believe, uh, for Patrick Reed. So did you do oh, yeah. some fittings and testing for P. Reed, Team Reed?
1: Yeah, so he, um, he was with, I, I think he was playing Callaway Irons at the time, and he had asked our tour rep for some irons. And he's, a, he's an interesting guy. I mean, a lot of those guys have specifics that they want, but his specific was every single club had to have 17 grooves from pitching wedge to uh i think he played up to a four iron um which is weird because it's kind of hard to fit 17 grooves on a lot of clubs and with uh the groove like limits and rules in the usga you, you you have to design them to be really small and skinny and the spacing is important but i guess his his thought was that like the more grooves like he he noticed maybe he didn't get as many flyers out of the rough so we had to custom make in these clubs are 17 grooves and he sent his like backup set into us and um they at- we asked him if he wanted them back and he was like no nah, i'm okay like i don't need them and so i i kept the shafts which were these cool like um they were the um the tour the dynamic gold tour um shafts but they had like a special america graphic on it cuz i guess it was his uh set from the Ryder Cup which was pretty cool so i I've-, I've got those shafts still
0: that's cool. Yeah, yeah, those I remember seeing them and they look uh patriotic.
1: Yeah, very yeah.
0: So I I have a kind of a sneaking suspicion that golf equipment OEMs haven't exponentially improved the way that marketing tells it have. Yeah, so <laughs> I I'm, I'm curious your perspective on the innovation, I, let's say, that comes from OEMs, like Mizuno's irons. Let's start with irons, because I think we could talk, uh, there's a, probably a lot more debate you could have with um, with driver heads and, and three woods and hybrids and stuff with, with all the technology there, but let's just talk right. about irons and the restrictions that, th- that are, reside around irons. How much better have the sets of Mizuno, for example, really gotten since, you know, that MP thirty-two was it? That just like that custom build, that perfect club in the nineties that everybody seemed to be playing. How how much better can can these things get? And and is it is it real or is it just just marketing, like I said?
1: Yeah. Um I would say like from a for a blade iron, like a like the MP thirty three um or th- i think the 32 was a more of a cavity back um well from a yeah, 33 perspective is what i was thinking yeah. yeah yeah 33 um from a blade perspective i really don't think there's been much improvement i mean there's definitely tweaking that's going on but you really can't change too much about a solid one piece forge set like piece of steel you know there's not too much weight you can move around when it's when it's completely solid like that um, but what has changed, I mean, even back in the ninety, when were like the Ping I-2s, was that like 90s or 80s? Uh, yeah, Ping I-2s were probably early 90s. Okay. I and mean, I was born in 94, so I'm not very knowledgeable of my old golf clubs. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, like even something like that, where it's like a, a cavity back and they're, they're moving a lot of weight around, like that, that, technology has been around for a while but really what's changed is is the the um thin faced material irons and i guess what marketing would would tell you is that okay if you can if you can have a thinner face and have higher ball speed and you can use cavity back design to to move your sweet spot low enough to launch the ball you can have a 5 iron that's a 3 iron loft or whatever they're doing nowadays. Um and you definitely see a, a big ball speed improvement in clubs that have those um thin hot like a thin hollow face iron. Um but I don't know if it's really improving people's game at all. I think it's it's just like okay you want to hit your 7 iron 5 yards further? Fine. Like you can hit your 7 iron 5 yards further but it's just as forgiving as a cavity back that's been around for a while. It's just as, um, I guess that the main, the main increase has been in ball speed and over the past, like maybe four or five years that, that gain has been incremental, but, um, yeah, not too much.
0: Yeah. For the game improvement stuff, like I I'm all for, you know, Game improvement clubs for people that are picking up the game. Hopefully, it makes it easier, more enjoyable for them. But I, on this, on the flip side, I also see that as really misleading for for so many golfers. Like, regardless of what you do to equipment, golf is hard. It yeah. will it will always be hard, and it will always uh, be that challenge. That's actually one of its greatest strengths. And I and I kind of think it's a little dis deserving when we, you know, put out all this equipment that is promising the world to golfers they go out they still don't do it and they're disappointed like a lot of times i I wonder i don't know if this is the route golf needs to go but if you took a beginner and just said yeah here's this tiny persimmon club find the center of the club face and and work on that and and then you get this other equipment that makes it a little easier if they'd be better off um and and really kind of enjoy it more in a way Uh, because I've found that with myself, I know I'm not, I'm not saying I'm a beginner by any means, so I can't really relate, but I do think there's this, this very backwards approach, right? Like there's no shortcuts. I think this is in life. There's no shortcuts. And I think golf club manufacturers are telling us there is, and the reality is there's absolutely not. And you need to, you know, you could switch your putter a hundred different times. You need to go roll putts. You need to work on your pace. You need to work on your alignment. And and that's the reality of golf. It's a time-consuming thing. That that that's what it requires. And I just I don't know. I don't know. I don't think that we can that we can deliver on all those things they say.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, I I totally agree. Like that's how I learned. My dad bought me some blades and was like, figure out how to hit them. Um, but you can't really put a price on like confidence. You know, if you have if you have the confidence that in your mind that oh, this club makes me a better golfer. I mean. I, yeah that that's why a lot of the pros like they can't switch irons they have to stay with the same set they've played forever you know or the same shafts it's like you can't you can't put a price on confidence but i mean dude yeah people people will spend as much money as they want to <laughs> it's, on, it's, on try, trying to find the answer
0: yeah no it's it's money it's i find it really fascinating though talking to you from being in that you know engineering perspective that's that's pretty cool Yeah. Well, you you shifted. So you moved to Chicago and you shifted, or moved back to Chicago, and and totally shifted directions. So I I love hearing about the work you're doing with Young Life. Um, Can you share a little bit about that organization and you know what your role is with them?
1: Yeah, totally. Um, Yeah. So I'd always been involved with Young Life. It's it's a a youth ministry for high school kids. Um, That's not it's not really like tied to a church or anything. It's it's sort of like its own its own thing um grew up going to young life was a volunteer leader in college and 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 while I was working at Mizuno um but I had gotten to this point I guess with like working at Mizuno and in the golf industry where like I thought I had made it and like that was my life you know and kind of like golf almost it's like there's never you're never gonna make it like there's always going to be like the putt that you could have hit that you know the the score you could have shot that would have been better um and i just remembered and and started to realize like how much more fulfilling working with young life and, and just being with high school kids and and um caring and and mentoring high school kids and what and what that meant for me in high school and um you know and so that's 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 really what made the switch was I was just like the thing that gives me the most life is, is doing this in um, and, and my relationship with Jesus. And I wanted to share that with, with high school kids. So that's where it, came, it came out of nowhere. I mean, a lot of people were pretty, pretty surprised by it and um, it was a lot, but yeah, so I moved to Elmhurst and, and kind of restarting young life in the area here.
0: That's awesome, man. Yeah. It's, my cousins w- went through that too, and they say the same things about uh, their members of the New Club, and they talk about it all the time. Just a great group to, that supports you, and you know, talks about the things that maybe, as either high school kids or uh, humans, were too insecure to talk about. Sometimes, that's yeah, it's really admirable.
1: Yeah, and it's I mean, golf is still a, a part of it. You know, I mean, like i st- I was a high school golf coach when I was in Atlanta you know, with, with a lot of the guys that I led young life for, um, playing golf is the, is the perfect place to build relationships and and deep lifelong friendships with, um, with people and with high schoolers. And you get four hours on a course disconnected from phones and technology and social pressures and all that. So it's, yeah, it's still a huge part of it.
0: That's, that's awesome. Are you, are you playing any with
1: the kids now? Um, not yet, actually. I've been doing a lot. We kind of started the area with wildlife, which is young life for middle schoolers. Um, A lot of the parents in the community that that uh, on on the committee that hired me have wildlife age kids. And it's just a great way to start young life. It's, It's a it's the kind of like the vehicle to young life is, you know, middle schoolers that are at that age when they're starting to be challenged with a lot of different pressures of of life and uh different you know hard things that they start going through and to have a mentor at that age to walk them through into high school is huge um so we started with that and then now we're building the the high school ministry up but there's not that many middle schoolers at golf I've, i've ran into you know I guess Mark, Mark Wilson's son, (laughs) but
0: (laughs) yeah, you got, that's right. Your advisors on the PGA tour. So you got to have some golf included, right?
1: Exactly.
0: What are, uh, what are some ways you've seen, like, can you share without too many specifics? Can you share just like some stories that, that you've experienced through this that maybe have been uplifting or just examples of, of it being successful?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I guess, in my own personal life, um, just like most middle school and high school kids, I was searching for um, purpose and, and worth and, and fulfillment and um, had gotten to the point where I realized that a lot of the things that I built my life up to sort of like with Mizuno, I like, didn't end up um, filling me up the way I thought it would be. And, and um, I had one of my best friends in high school. So my best friend to, the, to this day, he was, he was the best man at my wedding he uh he he grew up and I, we met each other when we were we were in high school and we were freshmen and um just just to see like how his life changed from young life the the guy he was before and the man he is now the 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 husband and fa- he's a father and um just to see the way that um he's grown up because of his young life leader pouring into him and and the countless kids he's poured into as a young life leader, um, it's just cool to see. It's something that multiplies, you know.
0: That's awesome. From that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'd imagine right now the high with high schools not being in session and going through quarantine. How how are you seeing the kids? Like, how, do you guys do Zoom calls? Do you guys get together that way?
1: Yep. Yeah, yeah. A lot of Zoom calls. A lot of Zoom game. I feel like I'm like Steve Harvey or something. I'm like running Zoom game nights all the time. Uh, playing like quiplash and jackbox games a lot of stuff like that uh a parent actually gave me an xbox which was great so um i could play xbox uh with a lot of the guys and stay connected with them that way i'm terrible at xbox like just so bad (laughs) which they which they find to be hilarious too you know so it's it's not like i can't play because i'm bad
0: i haven't gamed in a long time but uh I imagine you just find out that high school kids can be really good at video games and, and probably are any of them, well, they're, they're in your young life program. So hopefully they're not talking too much trash to you (laughs) when you're playing, but are they like dogging you on that? Oh,
1: (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. All the time. Like, especially, especially like when we play, like, um, we play this game Fortnite, where it's like, like you play as a squad and, and you know, like I'm always the weakest link. And then it's like, I, I die and they're like Jackson, come on, man! Like, always <laughs> having to save you and all, you know.
0: So, well, I, if you need any help or reinforcements, I know Callwell. Mark Callwell is a uh, a big time gamer. And yeah,
1: he was saying that. Yeah.
0: He'll 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 chime in, man. He'll defend you against <laughs> against those high schoolers.
1: Maybe I need to join up with him and destroy the the high school kids squad.
0: <laughs> yeah, just just bring him in uh the other area i wanted to chat with you about that i've been pretty impressed with as your hobby i guess it is right now but you just do you do graphic design work um and you're you're helping out the golf society this year with some of the i think members are going to be really pretty impressed with what we got coming up for our events and some of the trips and just these events, these designs are awesome, man. Like I just – I think they're, they're some of the coolest things I've seen in a while, and I hope other people appreciate it as much as I do. But tell us how you got into that as just a part-time hobby.
1: Yeah. Um, I guess I'd always been interested in design. I mean designing golf clubs. Like I cared a lot more about what they looked like um, as I sketched them and designed them um, than I think um, – Maybe how they perform necessarily, um, but yeah, I did. I was doing some graphic design at Mizuno, even like I was designing head covers and, um, you know, even designing like the logo for MP20 for the for the set that I was I was working on. Um, and after leaving Mizuno, and even even while I was at Mizuno, a little bit, I was I, I kind of just dabbled in it just for fun. And I had a friend um, slash my young life leader from high school and mentor who started a coffee company called Southpaw Coffee Roasters. And I was just like, hey, I'll take a crack at designing some stuff for you guys. And so I designed some like logos and some bat, like some uh, stickers for their bat, their coffee bags. And um, slowly started, you know, a couple of churches in Elmhurst have reached out to me. And then I was just reached out to you guys. and was like, hey, I'd love to do some graphic design and design some stuff for you guys which is cool and i feel like uh, i have a lot of different interests like it's not just like a certain certain style you know like you might be able to tell on some of the stuff that i did it's like you know trying to do like the very modern clean simple graphic design but also the more like artistic and sketched and painted sort of um graphic illustrated graphic design as well
0: I've, that's exactly what I what caught my eye the most was that you were just taking some chances with different formats, it seemed like, and different design styles and illustrations. Um, where did you get the inspiration for those? Like, you haven't been doing that this long. Like, where do you find – some of these are – and I wish this – you know, on a podcast, it's hard to show visuals, but I wish we could yeah. just, like, share a few of these. People will see them soon enough. But, but they are uh, varied. So where did you get some of your inspiration for some of these ideas?
1: Yeah, um, well, when I started thinking about like designing like stuff or posters for you guys, I was just looking at like the golf industry in general. And you kind of see, um, you know, a lot more of like apparel companies are, are going with that like clean, modern route. And then I was just thinking about like the hist- history of golf too. You know, the when you look back at like old like golf magazine like the drawings of the players and that kind of like hand sketch, in the drawings of like holes that architects do um that sort of hand sketch style and i thought of trying to blend the two of them a little bit one one specific inspiration i had was i i saw a really old like matchbook for a, a country club from medina country club and it had this cool sort of design of the of the clubhouse in this like little tiny matchbook book with um, just like simple colors and uh, thought that was super cool. And like sort of, you know, if you look at like really old golf courses with their scorecards, they all have this like sort of like hand drawn sort of uh, feel to them. So that's where I drew a lot of inspiration from. And then from those um, Lee wybransky posters that he does for like U.S. Opens and, um, I, I don't know if he does them for the Masters too, but he's or, or British Open, but
0: British, yeah, he's, he's got a lot of them out there. I mean, yeah. he's <clears throat> he's awesome. You know, who doesn't want to leave Wibranski hanging in their office? Uh,
1: yeah,
0: are there others that you, you enjoy just in the golf world from an artistic standpoint?
1: Yeah, um, I really, I really appreciate a lot of the stuff that Link Soul does. I feel like their um, art director has done a really good job of, like, kind of meshing those, those worlds, like, of all older golf and, like, modern clean design together, um, which, is, which is really tough to do. And I also feel like I took a lot of um, inspiration from, like, beer uh, labels, too. Like, I feel like that's a really cool way to, to show, like, this is what our company is about. And also, like really cool design that like draws your eye to it.
0: Um, yeah, you I, I uh, it makes me think of I can't remember which book it is. It is in um, I'm reading something right now, but it was talking about the difference between uh, how also unique where there's this super analytical side to it, and I think that alludes to our conversation about. RCG testing, CT testing, you know, all these numbers, you can just, if you like data, you can endless possibilities in golf, right? Oh, yeah. And then, and then on the flip side, especially right now, I feel like there's this movement of, you know, golf, the left side of the brain, the real creative expression, artistic elements of it from, from the way that you shape a shot to the look of the top line of your golf club. And, and I just feel like there's a, there's never been a better time to be a golfer. Because in both those worlds, you can find endless resources to dive in and, and and cool stuff that you're talking about that's inspiring. and and I think your stuff's gonna be inspiring, man. I really do. I think a lot of people are gonna see it and they're gonna say, uh, this makes me want to play golf."
1: yeah. yeah. No, that's a really good point, Matt. like the like back when you look back at like you know golf in like the early nineteen hundreds or even pre it's like They didn't have range finders. Like every shot was like up to your imagination, you know, how far it was. Um, Obviously you couldn't hit the ball as straight. So yeah, it is cool. It's sort of like now today is a blending of that, like artistic style back and creative style back then. And then like the hard numbers, like my seven iron goes exactly 183 yards in this barometric pressure and uh, wind conditions.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: I, I'm definitely more
0: on the left brain side than, than the right. You know, I, I can know my numbers. I try to, to be diligent on that, but I like to see a shape, you know, I like to see if the, i like to see a ball flight and a wind maybe, cause it, it gets you more creative. I just feel like it's more fun.
1: Yeah. Well, there's actually, um, a lot of studies that I, that I read at one point about that shot, uh, shaping your shot into greens is, is actually like, um, more statistically advantageous. Like if you have a pin on the left and you hit a draw towards it, every yard that you miss by, you're getting closer to the pin, rather than if the pin's in the middle of the green and you aim at the pin, however many yards you miss, you're you're going away from the pin.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's, it sounds like a Scott Fawcett type of thing, right? Or
1: Yeah. If only I could actually do that but <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then there's and there's the whole element of actually executing yeah
1: yeah oh that was a fade that wasn't that was
0: fade. <laughs> uh well you know i was doing my my research on you did you know there's a a uh, a jackson kemper uh, a famous one out there from the 1800s are you familiar with this gentleman
1: yes yeah and he's like the first um, episcopal missionary to the united states or something like that
0: yeah, did a ton of work with uh, the Native American populations and um, the old Northwest. I thought, is there any relation?
1: No, no. Uh, a lot of people in Chicago think that either I'm related, especially because I'm a huge golfer. Think that I'm either somehow connected to like Kemper Lakes uh, or Kemper Sports, or even like the Kemper Insurance Building, like downtown. Like there's this huge building that says Kemper on it, and everyone's like. I didn't know you were that rich. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, no. I I,
0: I was one of those people. I definitely assumed. I was like, okay, he's a golf club designer. He's got to be some type
1: of of the Kemper golf uh, lineage. My dad tried one time to get like a a free tea time at Kemper. Lakes. He was like, yeah, I'm I'm like Mark Kemper. That's me. (laughs) And they're like, the guy at the front desk apparently knew the family. And he was like, you're not related to anybody here it's worth a shot yeah something out of Seinfeld
0: well anything anything else you want to share with the listeners audience maybe a message to send us out on
1: um yeah I don't know man I just uh golf has been for a long time in my life such a, a important thing almost to the point of being like my life you know and um you know, like I like I was talking about earlier, is like I've gotten to the point where I've realized it's like golf is great and um the things that you can get from golf and the, the friendships and all that are great and, and or success in the golf world, but um you know, it's not everything and it's not it's not gonna ever ever fully satisfy you, you know. It's you're always gonna be left hoping, you know, you made that putt or, you know, Oh, if I just get this set of clubs, I can. It'll be better if I just go play this course. You know, if I could just get on Pebble Beach or Augusta, and it's like, yeah, that's just a small sliver of life, and, and there's a lot more to it.
0: I'm with you there, man. You're you're pretty wise for a young man, Jackson. And <laughs> we are honored to to have you as part of the golf society. I'm pumped to uh,
1: to get out there and play more this season. Yeah, I'm excited to meet. I haven't met anybody else really in new club i mean other than you and mark so i'm excited to meet everybody and time to change uh, that yeah try my hand at some tournaments i i would take i would take
0: you as a partner any day you got some (laughs) game my friend
1: Yeah. and you're just a
0: delight that's more maybe not so
1: much anymore i need to i need to get back on the range
0: yeah we all we all do but well thanks man appreciate you coming on we'll uh we'll see you out there soon
1: yeah thanks for having me